0: My name is Grace, and I am a member here at Redeemer. Today we're going to read Mark 2, 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic laid. but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. This is the word of God.
1: Thank you, God. You may go ahead and be seated. Um, We've mentioned this the past couple of weeks, um, but just because I see some new faces, I want to keep just uh, laying it before you. Um, the reason why we stand um, when we read God's word is because we just want to make a differentiation between my words, which are imperfect, and, and God's word, which is perfect. And so, just out of reverence and out of just so that we can have that differentiation, um, we just want to, like, as we read God's word, as we look at the uh, read the text that we're going to be studying uh, through this morning, um, we just want to make sure that we know that 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 what we just read was perfect, and what I'm about to say, while the Lord is helped me put together the sermon, and, and I've done the exegetical work, I've done as much as I can to be faithful to the text, I am still very much imperfect. And so that's the reason why we, we do this. And so we just always want to just share before you why, why we do the things the way we do it. And so anyways, well, if you don't, haven't turned there already, go ahead and turn to Mark uh, chapter two. So for those, uh, so you got to meet Ryan earlier. For those of you who I don't know, my name is Brian. I'm not confusing at all. Um, I'm the other pastor here at Redeemer, and just we're so glad that you all are uh, here to join us uh, this morning. So, well, it may not come as a shock to you guys, um, but, but when you look at me, you probably don't see someone who's very good at, at mechanic stuff. right, um, you're laughing because you know it's true. Uh, but, but typically, what's, if you have, say, for instance, this afternoon, your car breaks down and, and you give me a call. Hey, Brian, my car's broke down. Something in my engine's going wrong. Um, what you're going to get from me is, hey, I'll be gladly to help. But when you open up that hood and, I, and I'm surveying... All that's under there. You know what's going to go through my mind is? Exactly. That. Uh, just blankness. It's, so what I'll try to do is because I am prideful and I am a sinner, I might try to throw out some knowledge. Yeah, it could be the flux capacitor. It could be uh, that little uh, wire doesn't look good. I'm, I'm going to give you some some solutions that are ultimately going to be bad. Um, so when it comes to mechanic work, when it comes to electrical work, uh, you don't want to trust me because ultimately... The problem that you have, whatever it is, uh, will not be resolved in my mind. I will not be able to be the one who can uh, give you. But as I look in the, as I look around the room, I see Forrest, I see Brian, I see Joe, I see guys who actually can help you, right? They would be able to give you a proper solution uh, to your problem, right? For me, on the other hand, I would give you a misdiagnosed uh, solution. I would give you, I would misdiagnose the problem. Thus, misdiagnosing the solution. I won't even be able to identify the problem, y'all. So, right? But, so here's the thing. If, if we don't know the problem to something, if we don't know the problem to something, we oftentimes won't know the solution. If we don't know the problem to any host of things that we encompass in this world or we face in this world, we will not know uh, the solution, And as we've been talking about throughout this series, uh, we don't have to look far beyond uh, our own, this own room, our own hearts to see that something of this world, something within me, has not gone quite as it should be. We see brokenness, we see problems all around this world. And here's the thing, you don't have to be a Christian to acknowledge that. You don't have to be a Christian to acknowledge it as you look around this world um, that something has not gone quite Right? And and the thing is, though, there's a lot of solutions to the brokenness that's around us. And a lot of these solutions aren't bad, but a lot of them won't get to the root issue of what's really going on. So here's the thing. I'm all for good government. We want good government. Government is a good gift from God that he gave us um, to help establish order and, and, and all these different things. But the reality is, government makes a pretty crummy God. Government will not be able to fix the bigger problems that are going on uh, for, with all the brokenness in our world. Or here's another thing. I'm a big fan of justice. We're a big fan of seeing, hey, we want to help those who are in need. We want to help those who, who, need, who have some help or who might be marginalized. But the reality is social reform is not going to be the thing that ultimately deals with the biggest problems or with the biggest reasons of why we see brokenness around Or for you personally, if we bring this to a personal level, a lot of us might feel, if I can just get this thing, or if I can just, uh, if my spouse or my kids would just listen to me, or if my coworkers would just acknowledge me, or if my boss would just promote me, or fill in the blank, if these things can happen, and then something will be resolved, then the brokenness will be fixed. We can go on and on and on. But the reality is... um, The bigger problems of this that we see around us uh, are much deeper than what we can see. The the, the real issue, as we look at the brokenness around the world, the reality of the brokenness that we see around us is that ultimately it is a spiritual problem. The brokenness that we see around us is ultimately a spiritual problem, which is why we can't expect things of this world to resolve it. A spiritual problem needs a spiritual solution. A spiritual problem needs a spiritual solution. And that's what brings us to this te- our text today. And so as we've been talking about in this series, uh, as we've been going through the first uh, chapter or so of the book of, of the Gospel of Mark, um, we've been seeing that Jesus is coming to establish his earthly ministry. He's coming to build his kingdom. And ultimately what his kingdom has come to do is to push back the darkness uh, push back the brokenness, push back the sin that's in our world. Jesus has come to establish his kingdom, and that's what it, it happens when he does, is that he's pushing back the darkness in our hearts, um, and ultimately, it's the, the dark forces, the evil forces that, that we don't see that are causing much of the darkness that we see around us. It's the unseen that ultimately is producing the darkness that we do see. And that, might, that language might make us a little uncomfortable because we are Westerners, we are enlightened, and, and, and all our problems can be fixed by what we can see. But the reality is, Jesus knew that the problem of the brokenness around us was much deeper, was much broader, was much uh, more significant than anything that we could see, think, or imagine. And so Jesus is coming to establish his kingdom, to build his kingdom, to push back the darkness, and as we're going to see is that he sees that the that the problem of this dark brokenness is a spiritual one and his solution also is a spiritual one so let's go ahead and read the first 5 uh, verses again mark says and so when he returned to capernaum after some days it was reported that he had go- he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no room not even at the door and he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when, they saw, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven some of the most fun concerts that I've been to were not the ones that were in these big venues or, or these, these established theaters, but rather the ones that were in a room like this size. Uh, it was a concert that was high energy. We're all crammed together and we're just like all having it's a fun energy. We're all just having, having a good time. For some of you, you might resonate with that. You might think that's a good time. That would be a fun concert. For some of you guys, um, that crowdedness, that close quarterness is like my worst nightmare. Uh, so, so I can tell by who's laughing, who's not, by which side you're on. Um, but this idea of this close-corneredness, like this, these concert venues or, or these, uh, these, these ideas of that, that their people are just so close together, that's the picture that's being created here uh, in, in the first couple of verses. Jesus has returned to Capernaum, which was, about, was a bit of a home base for him. And when he returned, people heard, and when people heard, they gathered to where Jesus was, uh, and they just crowded the door to listen to him preach. It was so packed. It was jam-packed. And as the scene goes, uh, we see that there's these men. Um, There's five men total. Uh, One of them is a paralytic, and then four of them are his friends. They could have been a family member. They could have just been friends. We we don't know the nature of the relationship. Um, But what we see is that these men were bound and determined to get their friend healed. We don't don't know... um, If this paralytic man, if he had been, he has been paralyzed since birth. Uh, We don't know um, whether it happened later in life. But one of the things that would have possibly happened, but what we can know, is that back then a lot of people thought that it was some sin that caused this person to be diseased. It was something that this person did um, that caused him to be paralyzed. And so either way, there was a sense of desperation um, from all five of them. healing, for for, for their friend to be, be fixed. And so the crowd was packed. There was no room in there. And they weren't going to be like a concert and try to like crowd surf their friend to where Jesus was. That probably wasn't going to work out. So what did they do? They go to the top of this building. Usually these buildings back then had a ladder or stair step. They could have climbed on top and they just started picking away at the roof. I mean, just imagine for a moment, if all of a sudden we're here, we're, we're, we're in service together, and all of a sudden, boom, someone just starts like opening up this, which first off, that's like a metal roof, and so it's like really hard, but someone just like picks through, like would that not be startling, right? Think about this for a second. Like, let's put some, some, some life to this text. Would that not be a startling thing to all of a sudden see someone just lowered to so the roof just being torn open and someone being come down? That's the scene that's being pictured here and painted here. We see a sense of desperation. We see a sense that these men knew what Jesus was about, knew what he could do, and they were seeking to to be near him, to be healed. And in verse 5, Jesus says two important things, or two important things happen in in verse 5 that really begin to set the tone for the whole entire text. First off, Jesus says something to them. As he sees this man being lowered down, he acknowledges their faith. He says, he says that their faith, he said he saw their faith. Now, why is this important? Why is it important that he saw their faith? Well, what is faith? Uh, faith, as, as the word literally means, is the conviction of what's true. It's this conviction of what is true. And so when we really believe something, um, that'll show itself in, in what follows flows from our life. It's the conviction of, of truth. And so what these men knew, was that Jesus, because he's been to Capernaum before, Jesus was able to heal. They'd seen people who were sick. They'd seen demons be cast out. they have seen all sorts of healing going on from Jesus. So they knew that Jesus was a healer, and he was being able to help. Now, the thing that's important to note here is, he says they, Jesus, Mark acknowledges their faith. But we don't know exactly what, because what how does Jesus respond to them? He says, son, your sins have been forgiven. So so we don't know that the, that their ask the 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 their faith was this the, the resolution of their faith was to be have their sins forgiven. They didn't, they, they didn't necessarily indicate that that their sin, that the that sin was this paralytic's main issue. Like well at least we know that it was, but they didn't know that was main issue. His main issue as far as his mind goes was, hey, I, I would like to walk again. I'd like to be be healed. And so we don't know uh, if this man was really wanting his sins dealt with in that moment. But Jesus, and the that, that term when he says son, it's a term of, of love and endearment. He, he, he sees the, parallel, the paralyzed man, and he sees something bigger that's going on. He looks beyond just um, the obvious brokenness of this man. He looks beyond just him laying on this mat, unable to help himself, probably a social outcast, he looks beyond that and he sees something much bigger. And Jesus, in his grace, even if that their faith wasn't wanting to deal with their sin, was enough for him to deal with the bigger issue. And like like I said before, the bigger issue was not his paralysis. The biggest issue was not his paralysis. And Jesus isn't saying that's unimportant. Jesus is not saying here that, that this was an unimportant thing for this man to be healed. But he's looking to see the bigger thing. And he sees that their faith, that, that their object of their faith was Jesus. Their, that he was able to be the one who could heal him. And so he's moved by their faith. And then what does he say next? He says, sons, your sin are forgiven. And the obvious need was the physical ailment. But the real need was his sin. The obvious need was his physical ailment, but the real need was his sin. Something deeper was going on. Something much bigger than what he could see, what these these men could see, what the whole crowd could see, what the scribes and Pharisees could see. Something much bigger was going on. And Jesus is beginning to show, as he's establishing his kingdom and pushing back darkness, he's beginning to show that he is going to be the one who's going to be dealing with the bigger issues. And so what Jesus forces them, them and forces us to ask honestly um, is that sin is a much bigger issue than we realize. Our biggest need is a spiritual one. Our biggest need is a spiritual one. And why is sin a bigger problem than the obvious broken things around us? Because like I said earlier, we can look around and, and easily point 10 different things of, of, of what's broken, whether it's within us or around us. But why is Jesus forcing us to look beyond what we can see? Because he knows what we can't see is actually what our biggest problem is. So you look back into the first four chapters of Genesis. Um, Genesis 1 and 2, God creates a man... Uh, he creates the world. He creates the universe. Everything is perfect. And as he creates man and woman, he creates them to be in, in union with him and to be in relationship. Mankind was, was ultimately created to be in relationship with their creator. Our truest flourishing, knowing our truest selves, comes from when we are uh, in, in relationship with the one who made us. And so this is how we were designed. This is why, uh, this is how um, God created mankind to be, was to be in relationship with him. Well, Genesis 3 happens, Adam and Eve eat a piece of fruit, uh, and it wasn't about the fruit, but rather what the fruit represented was a distrust of God. It represented a, hey, God is holding out on something. God is not good. There's something more that I need that God's not giving me. And so it was a distrust of God. It was autonomy and, a, and ultimately this self-pursuing um, desire that led to separation from God or sin. Sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve and has been a problem since, since then. And what we see that the, the fruit of sin was disharmony with God. The fruit of sin is disharmony with God. And we see the nature of sin Uh, even shared in Genesis 4, 7, after uh, the account with Cain and Abel, and and God's warning Cain, and he says to Cain in, in Genesis 4, 7, that sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is contrary to you, but you must overrule it. Another version says that sin, its desire is for you. So not only does sin cause us harmony with God, but the nature of sin is to overrule you. The, 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 the image that's actually being given here when he says sin is crouching at the door, think of like a lion who's like hiding behind some grass waiting to pounce on its prey. Right? We've seen the nature documentaries. We've seen those images. That's the image that's being given here of sin. Its, it's desire is for you and it's to overrule you. And we know as it, Romans says, as it says in Romans, the wages of sin is death. Sin perpetuates disharmony with God. And so, and from Genesis 3 all the way till April 10th, 2022, sin has been the issue of all the problems that we see. This, multi, this thing that multiplies brokenness, this thing that multiplies and perpetuates darkness. And so when we look around the world and we see all sorts of brokenness, we're seeing the effects of of a world that is not in harmony with God. We're seeing the effects of a world that is not in harmony with God. And so, so from a theological perspective, if you were a Christian in here, I haven't said necessarily anything that, that you would disagree with. We would all agree that sin is the problem. Sin is what separates us from God. Now, I will say this. If you're not a Christian here, I understand that the concept of sin might be a little weird. Uh, There may not be a category for you of it in your mind other than what you've just heard. And I would get that. If I wasn't a Christian, I would be in that same boat too. But if we are a believer in Christ, we understand that sin is the thing that separates us. So from a theological perspective, we would agree with this. But functionally, the question I would ask us is, Do we actually believe it? Functionally in our lives, do we actually believe it? Because a lot of us, and I'm going to throw myself in here, is that we tend to fix our own brokenness with more broken things. It's like trying to clean up mud on the floor with more mud. It's just going to make the mess multiply. It's just going to make the mess multiply. And here's what I mean by this. Here, here, here's something to think about. When we don't see sin, um, which is a spiritual thing, when we don't see sin as the biggest cause of brokenness, we will view things of this world, often good things, not necessarily bad of themselves, we will view things of this world as what can fix our brokenness. When we don't see sin as the biggest problem of of our world, of our society, then we will look to other things of this world as the solution for what uh, can fix the brokenness around us. And the solutions will never get to the root of the problem, which is this disharmony with God. The solutions will never get to the, the issue. Like I've said before, good government is a great thing. But good government does not provide harmony with God. Education is a great thing. I know we've got a lot of college students in here. I know we've got a lot of students. These are good things. Yes and amen. But education will not provide harmony with God. Relationships. Though we want good marriages. We want good friendships. We want to be as brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to be reconciled with one another. But relationships won't provide harmony harmony with God. A lot of us might be in seasons of our life where we're like, if I can just get to this next thing, if I can just get married, if I can just graduate, if I can just have some kids, if I can just get this promotion, if I can just fill in the blank, if I can just get a job, if I can just, those, those things aren't necessarily bad things. Getting that next thing is not necessarily a bad thing, but it will not provide harmony with God. And so, if we, look to, if we don't see sin as the big problem, if we don't see sin as the reason why we see darkness, we don't realize that the brokenness of this world, regardless of how it shows itself, is, is, it has a much deeper problem, then we will look to other things of this world to try to fix it. And what we're just doing is, is we're wiping mud with mud. We're trying to clean mud with mud, and that's just not going to work. You're not going to get to the big problem. You're not going to get to what's really going on. Keller, he says it like this. He says, Sin has caused our affections to stray, propelling us to worship relationships, achievement, and work. Everything but God. When we don't see sin as our biggest issue, our solution will be misguided. Sin multiplies disharmony. Sin perpetuates brokenness. And so, until that is dealt with, brokenness will just continue to multiply, continue to abound. So, what is the solution? What is the solution? Our story continues um, in, in verse six. And so, Jesus goes to this man who's paralyzed. He says, Son, the sermon of love, son, your sins are forgiven. He deals with the bigger problem than, than what's going on, than just his paralysis. He's beginning to poke a little bit deeper as to what the real issue is going on. And he says something that was going to be utterly offensive to the the Pharisees, to the scribes, to the religious leaders of the day. Let's look back in verse 6. So he says, Sons, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And he rose, and immediately he picked up his bed and went before all of them, so that they all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So as the story continues, he's upsetting some people. He's offending some people. Because the the Pharisees and the scribes, the the things that they were thinking, they're like, Who can forgive sins but God alone? They, they They weren't wrong in thinking that. Like, that was actually a valid question for them to to ask themselves. Who can forgive sins but but God alone? But their heart was already bent in a distrust of Jesus. And so they were going to ask that question from a point of skepticism. And Jesus knew where their hearts were coming from. And really, I think in my mind, the way I see it, it's kind of funny. Because really, what they were internally thinking was setting up Jesus to make an identity statement about who he truly was. They were, they were setting him up. They were giving him a softball to actually, before all these people, before this big crowd, and keep in mind, as this little dialogue is going on, the paralytic man is still probably sitting there probably still paralyzed. So, so, so there's, I mean, there's a lot of probably confusion, like what's going on here? Um, but Jesus, he confronts their questioning. He confronts them, uh, their, their, their questioning of, of can only God forgive sins? And he says... Um, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your bed, and go home so So, what is the point that Jesus is making here what's what is he what is he getting at? He was right it's easy to say that your sins are forgiven, and we can all say things and not actually like have the worst to back it up. like I said, hey, I can fix your car as we've learned earlier i'm not going to be able to fix your car, right? We can all say things, but um do, we actually, do those words actually have like backing? Do they have authority? That's the big issue that's going on here, is a, this issue of authority. And so what, so what Jesus is saying, is, is, is he's acknowledging, which is easier. Yeah, it's easy for me to say that your sins are forgiven, but what's harder is to tell that man to, 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 to be healed and go home. And, and, and verse 10 is a, is a big verse. It's an important verse. So but prior to that, he's having this dialogue with the scribes. Then how I imagine the scene goes he's kind of almost like he's looking um, at them but he's also talking to everybody that you may know that the son of man has authority to forgive sins and then he said, and then he so he's making this this claim that that you may know and then he turns probably gently looks to the man he says rise take your bed and go home so he addresses everybody and then he goes in and what happens the man's healed And everyone goes crazy. Everyone's excited. They've never seen anything like this before. They all are glorifying God. But the bigger point that's going on here isn't just the fact that a paralyzed man got up, uh, took his bed, and went home, probably super excited, probably running marathons. uh, You know, maybe not that, but um, he's super excited. And the bigger point that's going on is that Jesus just made the claim that, yes, I am God, and yes, I can forgive sins. That's the bigger thing. And so what is happening in this text is that Jesus is diagnosing the bigger problem. He's diagnosing the the thing that is the big issue, uh, the real issue for all our brokenness, and he says the solution is ultimately found in himself because he is the one who has the authority to forgive sins. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. And what led this man to be restored physically, yes, but also spiritually? What does Jesus say back in verse 5? He saw their faith. He saw their faith. See, the man probably knew he couldn't fix himself. He couldn't make himself, like, not paralyzed. And even beyond that, um, we don't necessarily know what this man's relationship was spiritually, if he was aware of his sin, if maybe he thought he had done something to earn this. We don't, we don't necessarily know. But he, So even the bigger thing than not being able to be fixed physically, he couldn't fix himself spiritually. And all of a sudden, because he knew something, there was something about Jesus, his friends knew that there was something about Jesus that, that, that was different. Their faith, their trust in Jesus, ultimately led to his, not only his physical Restoration, but also a spiritual restoration. Our spiritual problem is sin, and the solution to that problem is faith. Our spiritual problem is sin, but the spiritual solution is faith. Faith in Jesus brings about restoration. Faith in Jesus brings back harmony with God. Sin is the thing that separates us, and Jesus is the one who brings us near. And like we're going to be celebrating next week. I say At this point in the text, Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet. He hasn't resurrected yet. But his, him going to the cross is him paying for our sins. And him rising again, uh, coming out of the grave, is the thing that seals it. So the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is what brings back harmony with God. And so when we put faith in Jesus, what we're essentially saying is we are relying on the finished work of Jesus. Faith is relying on the finished work of Christ to ultimately bring about harmony again with God. This is not something that we can do on our own. Let that sink in for a second. Because so many of us in here, and I'm going to throw myself in this, have such a performance-minded attitude that whenever we mess up, whenever we sin, whenever we feel like we've just blown it again, we have some kind of weird, twisted self-penance and we think, I've got to, got to clean myself up. I've got to do some certain things. I've got to, got to be okay. I've got to not do that thing for a couple of days. And then God and I are good. That's you trusting in yourself. And that's, again, you trying to clean up mud with mud. Faith is trusting in the finished work of Christ to ultimately bring about harmony with God. Faith is a trust of what's true. is a conviction of what's true. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he says that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. What, 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 is, what does faith in Christ mean that Paul talks about here? Uh, in the New City Catechism, they actually give a great explanation. He says that faith in Jesus Christ is acknowledging the truth of everything that God has revealed in his word, trusting in him, and also receiving and resting in him alone for salvation as he has offered us in the gospel. So for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, here's what that means for us. That Jesus dealt with the spiritual problem that we all have. The brokenness that's even within us. Let's, just, let's, look, let's not look out there, because we, we know that, but look internally. The brokenness that's in you and I, that we are all well aware of, Faith in Christ, faith in Jesus, brings, brings healing of that. Past, present, and future sins, Jesus has dealt with on the cross. And as, and as Him resurrecting seals it. And so, so, what does it look like then for you and I to, to have uh, a life, to walk in a life of faith? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. A life in Christ. As we grow and as we mature, um, we, don't, we don't need less and less of Jesus. We actually need more and more. There's this, always, this ongoing dependence on Christ as we grow as Christians and how we engage in that, in that, um, in that, uh, in that life is a life that continually looks to him and continually brings before him where we need help, where we still need help. And so a life of repentance, it's not walking um, like Eeyore with our tail between we're always just guilty and sad, but rather it's a life that rests in Christ and looks to the finished work of Jesus to ultimately be our ultimate hope. Because if our real need is a spiritual one, then the solution is a spiritual one. And that spiritual solution is provided providing the person of Jesus. And Jesus gives us harmony with God. And harmony with God means that you are permanently a son and daughter. Harmony with God means that you are forgiven sins, past, present, future. Harmony with God means that you are redeemed, you are righteous, you are holy. Harmony with God means that you are chosen and dearly loved. This is true of you, not because you've done anything other than faith in Christ, believing that he was enough. He was enough to restore me back to God. That's it. And then all that's true of you. And So faith in Christ is the starting point for things to be made new. Faith in Christ is the starting point for things to be made new. It does not mean that the many problems and broken things that we see around us are unimportant. Um, we have to understanding, though, that the root issue of the brokenness around us is a, dis- is a world that is disharmonious with God, it's a- is a world that needs Jesus it's a world that needs to know that there's life found uh, in not in ourselves, not in what we can accomplish in this world, not in fill in the blank, but rather there's life found in the person of Jesus. And so one of the greatest testimonies that we can actually show the world is, is actually show them that like, because one of the biggest things I think we, we hear all the time is that I don't want to be a Christian because Christians are hypocrites. We've heard that. And we are. We are. I mean, all of us have sin. All of us struggle, but yet all of us have a Savior we can go to and look to. He's redeeming us. He's helping us. He's saving us. And, and, and the thing is, we get to point people to the hope that we have. That, yeah, I am inconsistent. Yeah, I do struggle sometimes. Yeah, I, I don't always want, but Jesus is making me new. Jesus is dealing with the brokenness within me because I am now in relationship with my creator. And so... um. As we wind our time down, band, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Um, the question that I want for us to think about um, as we leave this place um, to think about is do you see that your biggest need, that the world's biggest need is a spiritual one? Do you see that your biggest need is a spiritual one? Or Do you still think that something else will ultimately fix the problems of this world? Or something else will ultimately fix the problems that you have? That is a fundamental question that we have to ask ourselves and deal with honestly. Because how we answer that will very much affect the way we view things of this world. If we see that our biggest need is a spiritual one, that causes us to lean into Jesus more and help us see that as we look to the things of this world, that we can't put ultimate hope in them. But if we are expecting the things of this world to fix a spiritual problem, we will be always, time and time again, disappointed. Because broken things can't fix broken things. And and so as we take communion together, um, what what this text is encouraging us and reminding us is that our biggest problem is a spiritual one. And Jesus came to fix that problem. And So when we take communion, when we get to um, partake uh, in, in the bo- take take partake in um, taking the bread and, and drinking the juice, which represents the body of Christ broken for us and the blood of Christ spilled for us, when we get to uh, partake in communion, we're reminded that not only do we have this common hope in Jesus, that the, as a church, that we all have the same spiritual problem and we all have the same spiritual solution not only are we getting to remind ourselves of that but we are getting to preach the gospel to ourselves that this is something that i did not earn that this harmony with god which is my biggest need is not something i gained because i earned it and i was good enough but rather it was something that jesus paid for for me this is what we get to celebrate this is what we get to remind ourselves and one another of But as you do, think about the question, do you see your biggest need as a spiritual one? And for those of you who in here might not be a Christian, I would ask you to consider Jesus today. I would ask you to consider um, what do you think will fix the brokenness that might be in you or around you? Why not Jesus? I would ask you to consider I, and also, so we have our communion cups uh, in the in back, in the front. Like I said before, if you're not a believer, we'd ask you for a refrain, but we would ask you to consider Jesus. A spiritual problem needs a spiritual solution. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God that he provided the solution for us. So God, thank you. That you have dealt with our sins, that you have dealt with our biggest need. I pray that you would help all of us continue to look to Jesus for life. God, we need you. So, Holy Spirit, I, pray, I ask that you would help us deal honestly. However, you're working, however, you're moving within us, Lord, I pray that you would help us deal honestly with the things that you might be uh, poking in our hearts at. And God, know that as we wrestle and as we're dealing with these things, honestly, Lord, that we are dealing with these things not with a father who is wagging his finger at us or who's mad at us, but rather with a father who loves us and wants us to walk uh, in fullness and knowing him, Then sometimes that can be hard. And so, Lord, we love you, and we just ask that you would move in during this time.
2: Savior say Thy strength Indeed is small Child of Weakness Watch and pray Find in me Thine all in all Cause Jesus Paid it all All To him I owe And sin After crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. the heart of stone, Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe, and sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow.
3: Raise
1: Today and really this this whole series um, is look to Jesus. Life is found in the name of Jesus. Forgiveness is found. Harmony with God is found in Jesus. And so my hope and prayer for us as a church is that we would continue to grow in seeing that the ultimate remedy for the brokenness around us is not more things of this world, but rather more Jesus. And that starts with us. Where do you need Jesus to be for you today? And so for our benediction, I'm going to read Galatians 2.20 again for us. The Apostle Paul writes,